you know, always as a uh, as a someone who comes to to share God's word. Um, I told Corey and I both, you know, the, this overwhelming feel, uh, uh, feeling of inadequacy, kind of get used to it because it's like every time, you know, it's like, hey, this is another one. But certainly, this is one that uh, uh, the message I struggle with personally, and so I would ask for your prayers as we turn back to Deuteronomy in chapter one. Um, praise God for His grace that's always leading us to know Him and to and to uh, follow, and that grows in our lives. Um, Deuteronomy one, and we'll cover thirty-four to the end of this chapter. So uh, we're really fine through the book of Deuteronomy. We've only been at it a month and a half. We've got through chapter one, so we're doing good. Um, I wasn't that too serious. <laughs> uh, Deuteronomy one thirty four. You know, a few years ago, we had a friend of mine, one of, one of my best friends, I loved dearly. Um, he and I were were talking, and and he said, you know, he said, he said I just want somebody to tell me what to do. Just somebody tell me what to do. And we said, follow God. No, no, tell me what to do. He said, follow God. And he was so frustrated because that's, that's what, what um, you know, uh, he, he wanted more. Well, it's sort of funny. What does it mean to follow God? And what does that look like when you talk about repentance? So as we look at this, at this in the life of Israel and this calling this week, as we go through Deuteronomy uh, one thirty four through forty three, and we think about what is uh, what does obedience and repentance and what does that actually look like in the life of, of believers? You know, these we said these are the words of Moses, or is the, the Hebrew? Not really. These are God's words. This is this is God speaking to this new generation. And he's teaching them. He's telling them how to live. These words are to, to help them to live, to follow him, how to live in a new land, how, how, to, how to possess that, that promised land. God, is, God is, is laying this out for them to teach them how to live. And uh, more importantly, he's showing them and us what we need to possess this promised land and it's Christ you know you're gonna Deuteronomy is is I mean there's a reason why Christ quoted it more than any other book because it's one of the clearest one about him about what he's doing and and how do we live this out how do we live this walk out in our in our lives how do we possess this promised land and you know last week Moses retold this new generation of their father's failure he laid out. He went back and he talked about their their, their failure, and and you had to know everybody knew about it, right? I mean, they've been walking around for forty years. This whole generation, they've been walking around for forty years, and they've been saying, "Well, we're on this way to the promised land," and they've been walking around year after year, and they're saying, "Well, we're on this way to the promised land," and they say, "How far is it?" And they say, "It's about two weeks trip up that way," and we've been walking for forty years, and it's two weeks. You know, there's there's, there's not stopping for asking for directions, but this is getting a little ridiculous, right? They had to know. They had to know that uh, 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 of, of the failure. But yet Moses 
it's, it's telling us again, not just so they would know it here in their head, but they would really know what it means and it would shape their lives. They'd grown up around it. They, they had, they had, the whole life was shaped by this failure of their fathers to enter the promised land. And now Moses is saying, how do you avoid that? Last week, we saw the need for grace. We saw that we will always, always choose to sin unless God does a work on our hearts. Always. It is not like, well, sometimes, no, no, we will always choose to sin. No one does right. No, not ever. No one seeks after God. It's not like we'll get it, every once in a while we'll mess up. No. If God does not do a work on our heart, we will always choose to sin. You know, we read about their rebellious, their rebellious decision at Kadesh Barnea to not enter the land. You know, even though they admitted the land was good and they had seen it and they had seen all the promises and all the blessings, it was wonderful. It looked great to them. They saw that. And Moses came and he warned them. He said, you know, God has been so faithful. He, he, he overcame the Egypt. He's overcome the Red Sea. He's led you out. Enter. Take possession of it. But they decided the giants were too big. And they would be overcome in the land. And their children would be left a prey for their giants. And it's almost like they said, well, we would go in. Those giants are really big and we're really worried about our kids, you know, so we're not going to go in. We're not going to enter in. And as we saw last week, the interesting thing is God had already decided they would not enter into the land more than a year earlier at Meribah. Their decision just reflected God's punishment, God's wrath. So God didn't have to put it in their hearts to disobey. He just didn't put it in their hearts to obey. So they fell. They sinned. They refused to enter in last week. And so this week we see their response. So here it is. And Moses is relaying it out to them. As Moses is sharing with them about, about the, what happened to them and to this new generation, he's sharing to them so that they will their lives will be different. They'll show their need of, of a Savior. It brings us to verse 34. Deuteronomy 134. As we read and kind of go through this. 34. Uh, and the Lord, the Lord heard your words and was angry. You said you wouldn't go in. The Lord heard you and was angry, and he swore, Not one of these men of these evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give their fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it. And to him and to his children, I will give the land on which he has trodden, because he has wholly followed the Lord. Here he is. Caleb had seen it. He had come out. He had seen the promise. And he said, God can do this. God can lead it. But the rest, listen to the counsel of the others, the other spies. And they said not. And God heard them. God heard their words. Not one of these evil men, not one of these men of the evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to, to your fathers. 
And it's interesting, he only says Caleb here. We know that we know that it was both Caleb and Joshua, but here he brings out Caleb. Caleb had wholly followed the Lord. So both he and his children would enter the land. They will get to enjoy the blessing. They're going to enjoy the promised land. That Caleb was obedient, and the blessing was upon them. But in verse 37, we find Moses saying a very strange verse, don't we? Moses said, even with me, the Lord is angry on your account, and said, you shall not go in there. And Moses repeats this, just so you know, in two other places in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 3.24, or starting 3.23, Moses said, and, in, and I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord your God, you've only begun to show your servant your greatness, your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven and earth who do such great and mighty works such as yours? Please let me go over to see the good land beyond the Jordan, the good hill country of Lebanon. But the Lord is angry, angry with me because of you and will not listen to me. And the Lord said, Enough of, from you. Do not speak to me again of this matter. And in verse 421, Deuteronomy, Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you. And he swore that I should not cross the Jordan, and I would not enter the good land that the Lord your God had given you to inherit for an inheritance. The reason this verse is strange for us is because we know the story, right? We, we think, I mean, when we read it, we want to say, well, but no. What about when you struck the rock? Remember that, Moses? You know, do you not remember? Numbers chapter 20. Interesting. Back up Meribah, the same place that the children of Israel sinned and God would not enter. We're back there now. And this time Moses strikes the rock. In Numbers 20, verse 10. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock. And he said to them, Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water out of, the, out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank in their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you should not bring this assembly into the land I gave them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he has shown himself holy. It's interesting in this that he goes back to Meribah, and he said, listen, this, this my judgment, my the, the wrath, it was to show me as holy. And strength, you know, to look at this, and to be frank, as you read the commentators, there's many different opinions about why. In, in, in Deuteronomy, says it was on your account, I couldn't go in, and yet compared to Numbers, uh, when it was Moses' sin, Moses and Aaron, and there's, there's commentators are all over the book. There, there's, no one agrees on this, and we really don't know why Moses said this, but we do know this. It showed the inadequacy of Moses as a leader. And it showed it was God's plan, even then, even at Meribah, for Moses not to enter in. See, Moses wasn't enough. Moses, as good as he was following God, he was not enough to lead them to the promised land, was he? They need something better, even than Moses. In verse 38, we find out what they need. Moses cannot, because of their sin, because of their wickedness, no man can lead them in. But Joshua, 
Verse 38, Joshua, the son of Nun, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he, he shall enter, encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit. Joshua, or Yeshua, as he would have heard, or as the Greeks call it, Jesus. He shall enter. Joshua's name means God, God delivers, or God is salvation. He shall cause Israel to inherit the promise of God. Moses wasn't enough. Moses couldn't get you there. You need someone better than Moses. You need something greater than Moses. You need something better than, 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 than someone advising you and, and encouraging you. You need something better than the history. You need something better than a, 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 a promise of, of heaven. You know, we can talk about how wonderful and good heaven is, but that won't change your heart. It won't change your life. We need something better. Only God delivers. He's the one who will cause Israel to inherit the promise of God. And I love the way he said it. He said he won't lead you into it. He's going to cause you to inherit. I mean, listen to this. You're sitting there and he said, Joshua. And, 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 and you know, this man, he's, he's this kid who's been following Moses around. He's going to cause you to inherit? Certainly we're talking about more than, than that promised land. He will cause you to inherit the promise of God. Encourage him, Moses told them. You know, and as you know, every translation is also interpretation. You know, the word here, the word used here to encourage him is kind of interesting in the Hebrew. It can mean to encourage him, and just as easily it means to be encouraged by him. Let him encourage you. Let him let him put embolden you. Let him hold you fast. And I think that's what Moses and God has in mind for us. The goal was not to come and encourage. Joshua, the goal was to be encouraged by Joshua, to be to be encouraged to hold on. And those little ones you were worried about in verse 39, as for your little ones who you said to become a prey, and your children who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in there, and to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. I told Corey yesterday when I read it, you know, the interesting thing about that that really jumped out to me is, is my thought was, but but how? How is it they get to possess it? How what is it? I mean, in our in our 21st century Western thought, we're like, well, because God visited the sins upon their fathers. But the problem with that is. What happens to the sins of the fathers, according to Exodus? They visited on the children. Exodus 25, you shall not bow down or serve them, for I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Or Exodus 34, the Lord passed before him, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, a, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, 
keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who who by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children and their children's children to the third and fourth generation. So how is it these children are get to enter in? And of course the answer is Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus. Because all grace comes from him. And you know, it's interesting here that Moses uses the language from Genesis chapter 1, isn't it? When he's referring to them as though before Adam's sin, it's almost like they've never eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good or evil. He's taking them back to that picture. He said, he said they're, they're as if they were like Adam before they, they've never even eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Joshua leads them into this great, wonderful picture, this new Eden that, that, that they are we're all, that they are being led to. But as for you, Israel, as, as for you who sin, as for you and your sins, turn and journey into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. You're heading to death and destruction away from where Eden was. You're heading south instead of north. You were on the way. It was there in front of you. But now I'm leading you away from it to the place of death. And it's interesting. Now they believe God, isn't it? Verse 41. Then you answer me, we have sinned against the Lord. It's like we're, we're going to be punished. We messed up. We've sinned. Now this is bad. You know, can't you can't you can't you just hear the little child in them? You know, okay, fine. I'm gonna get in trouble. Okay, I'm gonna do it now. You know, every kid. I mean, every parent's heard this. Oh, you mean I'm gonna be punished for this? Okay, great. I'm gonna I'm gonna do it now. So now they're saying, okay, we ourselves, we're gonna go up. We're gonna fight. Just as the word of God commanded us. And every one of you fastened on his weapons of war and thought, thought it easy to go into the hill country. Easy. Remember, this is the giants. These are the ones you're afraid of. These are the ones you didn't want to go into. God said, I'm not going to lead you in, and now it's easy. Here was the promise before you that God was going to provide, but you didn't want it. It was too scary. So now you're going to take it yourself. We're going to go, we'll take it with, with our swords and our, and, our, and our armies, and we'll go in and we'll take this land. It'll be easy. We can do this. In our own strength, in our own weapons, we can do this. Look, it's repentance, right? Isn't this the picture of repentance? God has said, go in. We're not going to. Now I found out there's punishment. Okay, I'm going to repent. I'm going to go in now. That's the picture of repentance, right? They repented. They're going to do what God told them to do. And really, this is what a lot of people, even well-meaning people, mean by repentance. You know, to some, repentance just means saying you're sorry. I'm sorry. I repented, and, and of course that's not it either. You know, but I've heard sermons where repentance means we're going and doing something. 
If you repent, you're going to go do something. Whether it meant going and saying your Hail Marys, or going and read your Bible, or going and, and sharing. I, I'm going to repent. I'm going to go do so. I'm going to go do something now. I got things to do. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm gonna do this. This will make God happy. This is gonna please God. Verse forty-two. And the Lord said to me, saying to Moses, "Say to them, Do not go up and fight. Do not go up or fight, for I am not in your midst, lest you be defeated by your enemies." So I spoke to you. And you would not listen, but rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the hill country. Isn't it amazing? Look at this. Here they are rebelling by doing the thing that God had said to do earlier. What a contrast. They are rebelling because the reality is they're still refusing to listen. They are still refusing to listen to God. They still want to do it their way, in their strength, and their the way they want to do it. You would not listen, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the old country. You see, repentance, repentance was not about going and doing. It was about listening. It was about listening to God, about believing Him. Caleb and his children inherited the blessing because they wholly, because he wholly followed and listened to God. The children of Israel never listened. Oh, they heard. They knew God had told them to go in, so great, we're going to go in now. But they never listened. The result of the disobedience we know, we know the story. They knew the story. Then the Amorites who lived in the country came out against you and chased you as these do and beat you down, Seir, as far as Hormah. And you returned and wept before the Lord. You got, you got beat severely, and now you're weeping. They're weeping before the Lord. Oh, they're so sorry for what they've done. They're so sorry. But the Lord did not listen to your voice or give ear to you. So you remained in Kadesh many days, the days you remained here there. there I, I wonder if they thought, well, we're so sorry about this. So God's going to forgive us now, right? God's going to forgive us because we're so sorry. We're, we're tears. We're crying. And we, we were so sorry. We're even crying over what's happened to us. Amazing how this is so similar to, to Hebrews 12, 15. See to that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. No root of bitterness springs up and causes us trouble. Causes trouble. For by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent even though he saw it with tears. Same tears. But God did not listen to them. The Lord did not listen to your voice 
or give ear to you. Repentance is a gift of God and cannot be generated by our own hearts or our own efforts, no matter how sad we are. You know, there's a way that seems right in our eyes to follow God. It makes sense to us. This is what we should do. We want somebody to tell us how to live. Colossians 2, 6 and following. Therefore, and I think this is kind of bringing that same idea, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Walk in the Lord. This, this is how you live. This is how you live it out. By listening, by following, by, by, by hearing Him speak. By walking in Him. Letting Him speak to you. You know, we come to, we come to God's Word and we say, this is the Word of God, right? But we come to it saying, God, please teach me. Let me hear you. Speak to me. I want to hear your words. Paul says, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. You can't separate the two. You cannot separate the two. You can't receive him by faith and not walk in him. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human traditions, according to elemen, elemental spirits of the world, not and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised, with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through faith into a powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. I mean, this to me, this is that that living out that that in Joshua or Jesus what calls you to inherit. It's this work he's doing in us. He he he's he's moving that powerful voice that's speaking and causing us to walk in Him. This powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you who are dead in your trespasses and circumcision of the flesh, made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of the dead that stood against us with His legal demands. This He set aside, nailed to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. And so the outcome of this walking with him, of living in him, of hearing his speak, he said, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drinks or regard to a festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism or the worship of angels, going on in details about visions, puffed up without reason by sensual mind, not holding fast to the head, 
from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments and grows with the growth that is from, from God. If Christ, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you're alive in the world, do you, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. How do we walk? By listening. By following. By, by listening to his word and applying to this. You know, it's so easy to come out and say, well, you should be doing this and you should be doing that. Well, what does God say we should be doing? How should we be living? And again, knowing that none of this adds to our righteousness. None of this makes us more righteous. But for them, it's, it, they, they, they heard. They said, all right, God, you want us to go in? We'll go in now because we're trying to avoid punishment. But that wasn't, it's funny, them doing that led to even greater punishment. You know, it, you know, reading God's Word, and, and we, we talk so much about the importance of reading God's Word um, yearly. And, and, and as we have a plan that we're going to put out, again, to encourage you to read God's Word. But if you're reading God's Word because you're afraid people are going to judge you and come out and this is what I'm supposed to be doing or whatever, it's wrong. Now, the problem is if you don't want to read God's Word, that's for the problem. That's where it comes to it and say, God, Putting me the desire to know your word better. Work in, work in my heart that I want to hear your voice. Work in my heart that I want to obey. Work in my heart to, that, that, that I want to follow you. I need your grace. It's not about just, just, just coming in and just saying, man, I, I'm going to do it. I, I'm going to do it. I'm going I'm to do the right things. I'm gonna, I'm gonna... That's not it. That's not following the Lord. That's not walking in the power the Colossians talks about. That's putting on this self-made religion, this asceticism that looks, man, it's going to make me look good. And I, I, no, nobody's going to judge me for, for not being what it should be. But it's not. It's not how you live. It's not how you, how you overcome. We need someone greater than Moses to come and encourage us. And to lead us, we need we need uh, we need someone who causes us to inherit. We need that work on our hearts to cause us to want to live. You know this this is the the problem. I think this is again this is for the problem that David was referring to in Sunday school. The problem is we don't want we don't want God to work on our hearts. We don't want God to change us. If we want change, we will change ourselves. We can do better. We'll just we'll do better. We can do better. Instead of saying, no, God, we need you working on our hearts. We need you changing us. We need your grace. Because we will always, always sin. We can find ways to sin without God's grace working on us and leading us. 
Here they were, getting ready to go in, just like you said. God said, still didn't listen. You didn't listen. And when they, when they saw the, 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 the result of their sin, oh, they wept. They wept. They, they went into this land that God had given them. It was good. And they got swatted like bees. And they're out and they're just weeping. And I don't think there's, there's fewer sadder words in the Bible. In verse 45, but the Lord did not listen to your voice or give ear to you. How sad. We need someone, we need that work of God. We need that work of grace in our life. 